quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. try this and see see how it works sure why why not uh why not why not get a little adventurous on our 100th episode yeah 100 100 episodes uh so yeah so for those of you just uh listen to the podcast we are right now trying something new we're live streaming on twitch yes uh so if you are like man i have to see what those guys look like i you know I, I have it in my mind that they're just, you know, they've got long flowing <laughs> locks and they've got huge bulging biceps. Um, so, yeah, let's see if you're right or not. I'm not going to tell you. Do you want to give everyone just a moment to process their disappointment? Uh, no, life, fine. life is about disappointment and dealing with that, right? <laughs> sure. So I think I think it's I think it's all good, man. Yeah. So I do want to say uh, might confuse people that that actually follow us and listen to our podcast. You might be saying hundredth episode. I'm looking at my phone here and it says you know your last episode was number ninety eight. That hey, is, what gives? That's true. But so here's the deal. Uh, last week we did record an episode, but. Uh, uh, you know, Joey drank a little too much, and 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 it ended up kind of being unlistenable, right? Uh, I wouldn't say unlistenable. Well, close. <laughs> so we were just going to tank it, but I had end, I had Ivan send it to me, and I, I listened through it. It was two hours in the beginning, and I was like, I'll just cut out the stuff that is embarrassing, and we'll post it after that. I ended up, we're going to cut about 44 minutes out of it, so you're going to end up with about an hour and 16-minute episode. So we are going to upload that very shortly, and then we're going to... Obviously, this one's live streaming right now, but yeah. we'll, we'll upload it after that, and yeah. it will be a hundred. Uh, we'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll give it, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give it the old college try, try to cut it, but I'm pretty sure it'll work well. Yeah, um, it might be like where one of us is like, "Hey, I just had this thought," and then it goes like, "Okay, back to the episode." It's like so it clips out that. And- <laughs> no, I, I spent like I spent a long time. I think I got it where it'll be perfect. Okay. We need to make eleven cuts. Okay, uh, I've all got right. them all here. That, it was all it was the, that good, huh? It was eleven, <laughs> only eleven. Most of it's me though. Oh, most of it's me going. Did you ever have one of those days where? That's not what you sound like. Not really, but I, for it, some reason, I went off on this thing about getting sponsored by, and I thought it was a great idea at the time. Dollar Tree. I thought <laughs> I thought those people would sponsor us, and then I tried to come up with a slogan on the fly. Yeah, and that's not good because you're setting yourself up for failure. It's like. Oh, I can come up with something that advertise executives, advertiser executives come up with like yeah. in a whole day of work. I'm just going to come up with it on the fly and it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't have it. I thought it was the whole knickknack paddywhack Yeah, but thing. the first time I didn't get it. I didn't oh, no, get it. I was like, knickknack paddywhack. And then I was like, ah, I got nothing. Yeah. Then we just laughed for a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was, it's going to, it's going to be better. Yeah, we're gonna Maybe edit we'll it. release it as a Patreon only type thing. The unedited version. Yeah, we'll oh, send yeah. it to Carl. Okay, yeah, I'll send it to Carl <laughs> in its entirety. Yeah, so I don't oh. know how I can send it to him, but I will. We will. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. You want to get to the topic? Let's get to it. What do we got tonight? Tonight, we are going to be talking about the sacrifice of Leroy Carter Jr. He was sacrificed. He was. Oh, not like a baseball sacrifice, but you're talking like... No, sir. Okay. He was a human sacrifice. I, I don't know why I even said that. That wouldn't be a very interesting podcast. What's a baseball sacrifice? That's where you like you, you sacrifice an out to score a run or to get somebody on a third from second. Okay. Like it's a really tight game. You only you don't got any outs. You're like, okay, we're going to sacrifice this guy to get someone on the third. Yeah, that's way less violent of a sacrifice <laughs> than what we're going to be reading tonight. I don't know. Some of, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, let's get. Let's just get into it. I'm. I'm excited to hear about this. Well, there's a little bit of a disclaimer. So there's not a whole lot of information out there on this, and so I'm going to break kind of a cardinal rule that I set for myself a long time ago. I'm going to break it for two reasons. And the cardinal rule was so sometimes, like when you get on YouTube and start watching one of the little videos that you know someone has made, or you start listening to a podcast. I've always considered it kind of a cop-out when I, f- I consider it sort of fluff or filler when someone, like, let's say that this, the case they're talking about happened in Philadelphia. Sure. So they open up talking about, like, Philadelphia has always been known as the city of brotherly love. It was founded in, and I'm just like, okay, you're just filling, let's get to the case because you're just putting filler in there. Well, there, it's, it's like, it's an establishing shot type of mentality, yes. right? It's like, it was a warm summer day. Yeah, I've just, yeah. I don't know. And maybe I've been guilty of that before. I don't know. But uh, we've I, done that on the pot. And, and I, it's either or, you know, like if you're not feeling it, let's not do it. Let's. Well, yeah. Well, the deal is um, I'm doing. So tonight's case happened in San Francisco. Okay. I've always been kind of fascinated with San Francisco. Okay. It's a very storied. It's got a very storied past. Yeah. Uh, several cultural phenomenon has like erupted. Sure. It's been ground zero. Yeah. For that. It's had yeah. some horrible disasters. So I am, folks. I'm going to be a huge hypocrite, and I'm going to open up with a, a little uh, history on San Francisco. But oh, okay, I like it. It does kind of help set the scene for for the case. It paints I the think. picture. Sure, paint a picture with your words. With sir. my words, do it with my word brush. Are you ready? Uh, before you go, welcome yeah. aboard. We got a couple of people watching. Uh, the video is kind of crap and glitchy, uh, but it is a podcast, so uh, video doesn't matter. Just uh, lay back, sit back, and listen. Uh, we'll tell you a story, and, and uh, uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Turn on, tune in, drop out. Was yeah. that the, the whole Timothy oh, Lair thing? Yeah, I sure. think so. Yeah. Sure. yeah, Yeah, roll with it. So listen, the city of San Francisco has a, a long and weird, creepy, up-and-down roller coaster thing of a past, right? Okay. Thanks to the 1848 gold rush. Yeah, we're going back that far. The Whoa. city transformed from a small settlement to a major city throughout the late 1800s. In fact, San Francisco quickly became a hub of culture, drawing in such famous visitors as Mark Twain. Oh, yeah. Oscar Wilde. Okay. Ambrose Bierce. Yeah. Who, who we've talked about on other yep. episodes. He's actually a slightly less famous figure, but shouldn't be. Um, he actually vanished vanished without a trace in the, uh, what was it, the Mexican-American War? Yeah. Was that the yeah. name of it? Yeah. Anyway, look up Ambrose Pierce Bierce because he's a really inner. And then Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even this early on, San Francisco had already began to implement its now world famous cable car system, making it one of the most in- innovative cities in the nation. However, as the city would see over and over again, these times of prosperity were often followed by a time of crisis. No area can grow from a couple thousand residents to a city of over 25,000 in just a few years without experiencing some growing pains. By the late 1800s, the city was rife with corruption and dirty politics. 
But even worse than that was what occurred in 1900 when a ship unknowingly brought rats infected with bubonic plague into the harbor. This began what would be the first plague epidemic in the continental U.S., and it would take over four years to fully cleanse the city of the disease. However, residents would barely have time to celebrate their deliverance from the plague because on April 18th, 1906, I bet you know what happened. Uh, 1906? 1906. Huge, devastating earthquake. Yes, sir, it was. Okay. A massive 7.8 earthquake ripped through California. In fact, over 270 miles of the San Andreas Fault ruptured from Juan Bautista to Eureka, but its center was directly offshore from San Francisco. San Francisco. The quake itself, uh, along with out-of-control fires that resulted from it, destroyed 80% of the city and killed over 3,000 residents. The thing about that, 1906, I mean, um, you know, I'm not steeped in my history or anything about, like, skyscrapers, but you would think that that's a pretty relatively, you know, um, there's probably not a ton of them as a, as opposed to today. Right. Um, so, um, if you, that 7.8 hits today, that's, that's, uh, way more, uh, crazy. Oh, for sure. Know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I found some pictures of the city. Yeah. Uh, most of the ones I found was after the rebuild a few years okay. later. Okay. But, um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know exactly what the structures were like. As far yeah. as 1906. Yeah. I think the fires did a lot more damage than the initial earthquake. You know oh, what I yeah. Mean? Yeah. The resulting oh, yeah. fires. Yeah. I think back then, 1906, what did they just have a tugboat in offshore? Just toot toot. Just like squirting water from the ocean. And that's about it. Yeah. That's probably about. They, <laughs> that's probably pretty sound. They had horse drawn carriages with like maybe 50 gallons that they would just. Some, yeah. some, some guy would pump over there and it would. I mean, come on! They how could they fight fires back then? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I have no idea what they had. Um, they probably had like steam power fire fire engines, right? Probably, maybe, probably 1906. Yeah, and then the steam power would probably. I'm sure they had an early air pump, so that would pressurize that. So I bet they could probably, I bet they could probably put out some fires from a long distance. But uh, they're not going to have enough to to, you know, any city's not you know to to tackle a citywide fire ep- epidemic yeah. you know so yeah i'm also i wasn't thinking about you you know by then the city had some sort of water line system yeah they probably think, had fire hydrants you would think but maybe it's so very you know very early i guess so, we can say yeah. whatever they had didn't work that well well i mean I, I don't know i mean <laughs> i mean let's say i mean let's look at today i mean if you had multiple things on fire i mean uh, in any big city, like uh, earthquake, I mean, it's still devastation. So sure, even today. So yeah, yeah. Let's keep going with this. I like that you're painting the picture. Very good, sir. Well, through a Herculean effort, the city was completely rebuilt in less than two decades. San Francisco enjoyed continued prosperity for several years. During World War II, the city was the major mainland supply point for the war in the Pacific. Excuse me, but uh, this period would also showcase a less heroic side as well. The largest population, a lot of people I don't think are aware of this, but the largest population of Japanese outside of Japan at the time resided in San Francisco. Yeah, I uh, guess I didn't know that. So look up Executive Order 9066. Okay. That forcefully removed them from their homes and placed them in internment camps. Mm. Uh, This is when, pardon my, well, I don't want to say that. This is when... uh, you know, we had just been been bombed by Pearl Harbor. Yeah, attacked by Pearl Harbor, and uh, 
it was like right after 9-11 where anybody that was even remotely brown was just like kind of like hunkered down like oh, let's just wait for this we people go they swing too far the other way you know what i mean yeah so yeah. uh it was it was uh we actually had internment camps right here on american soil it's, yeah it's in arkansas creepy. George Takai stayed in a, a internment camp in Arkansas. You are kidding me. Yeah, there was a big thing on it on PBS. I watched the whole episode. It had him, he visited it like, you know, years in like, Arkansas. Yeah, in Arkansas. He was a Sulu for anyone who doesn't know yeah. on the original yeah. Star Trek. So, yeah. just as yeah. a to Most think. people do. I mean, he's a huge Oh yeah. Yeah, internet celebrity. Oh now. my. Oh my. Love George yeah. Takai. Oh, I do too. That's awesome. delicious. Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So the vacancy left uh, by the Japanese when they were forcefully removed from their homes was quickly filled by people from all over the country, but predominantly the South and predominantly African-Americans looking for better work opportunities. However, they too would eventually be removed when Mayor George Christopher hired Justin Herman to execute an aggressive redevelopment plan in the 1950s. The plan basically consisted of using eminent domain to force working class and lower income families out of their homes to level those neighborhoods and build more modern and expensive structures. Don't they call that gentrification or something? Yeah, like that? so it's like eminent domain, you can kind of understand when they have a plan for like a interstate and they need it to go through a certain place. Uh, it can't go around it or it's just way more expensive and way more miles. You can kind of understand that a little bit more, but it's like, yeah, you live here. We we're gonna need to tear your house down so we can build new houses. <laughs> to me, to me, some lawyer should be able to fight that. But back in those days, uh, uh, you know, everyone was bought and sold, and uh, you had a lot more prominent racists. So yeah, it's just kind of strange to me. It's like, you know, you can kind of understand the road thing. Yeah, my reaction to that, like I had a buddy, the drummer in my band. They put a highway right through where right like you know where his house used to sit. There's a highway there now. Yeah. And uh uh but I think that he made out fairly decent on that. I'm yeah. not sure. They're supposed to give you uh, what is it? Fair market value plus a certain percentage or right. something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I would be okay with that, I think. Yeah. I mean if unless it was like the old homestead you know, where, where Pap like five generations of my family had lived or something like that. So but, he doesn't live there anymore? No, no, no. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, where he lives now is where he's been for, I don't know, four, five, six years. But oh, that okay. highway through there, you know, uh, yeah. it went almost directly through where his, where his house oh, is. And he'd wow. been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. that's I didn't know that. Yep. It's crazy. So despite the unpopular and possibly racist uh, redevelopment of the city, in the decade following World War II, San Francisco became even more of a magnet for America's counterculture. In fact, by the late 1960s, the city played host to the birth of the hippie movement, everyone knows, mm-hmm. and was ground zero for the summer Are of you going love. To San Francisco. Yeah. Be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. You shouldn't have got me started, but I wonder if that I wonder if I wonder if it was just like the Forrest Gump when the guy pulled up and said, <laughs> "Hey, we're going to San Francisco. You want to go?" Sure. Far out. Far out. Far out. I can't imagine. What's that actress's name? She's so hot. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Who? But I mean, uh, Jenny, whoever played Jenny. I don't know her but, name. But uh, she, we could Google it, but that takes work. Yeah, forget um, that. Uh, but it's just like the guy, I'm sure the guy was like, all right, you know? <laughs> we're in New York, all right? No, they were in D.C., right? They were in Washington, D.C., yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. There's our moth. There's our moth. 
I tried to kill that bastard before we started live streaming, and I just I couldn't. I can't kill him off. What does that say about my manhood? Can't well, kill him off. He says he a lot. It he's, says a lot about it. It says a lot us. of positive. And Look. and it. I'm gonna leave him. It's okay. I'm not gonna hurt him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man. <laughs> It's weird to think, uh, but this was right around the time. Actually, right after that time was when uh, being a hitchhiker was not that safe. Uh, you know, you got Edmund Kemper and uh, oh, some different people yeah. that uh, started. Speaking of that, I started Mindhunter again. Oh, I just started over again. I was like, because I figure it's just going to be one day. You're just going to come home from work and there's going to be another season. There has wish. to be. There has they to be. did all the BTK stuff. They teased that for two seasons yeah two yeah now i understand i'm not bitter but i understand i mean surely they got to be building up to something you would think so they're ha- uh, either that or they just i don't know but you'd have to say that there's a third season planned you know one of the executive producers of that show i didn't even realize it is um is uh dick wolf she was in mighty joe young she was in uh monster uh Charlize Theron? Yeah. Really? Yeah, she's an executive producer. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of hotties. Someone else, too, that I know. But uh, anyway, uh, if you're out there, let us know. Hey, uh, my dad. I keep going back to the hitchhiking thing. Okay. But I remember picking up hitchhikers with my dad back in the 80s. Yeah. It was a thing, man. So. Several. He was not really uh, nervous about her at all? I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I just. I guess. I mean, I have before a few times, I guess before I had kids and stuff. I don't know. I'm a little freaked out about it now, these days. Oh, I, yeah, of course. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if it was just the right, you know, circumstances, scenario, and, you know, maybe if I saw the guy at a store and he talked about where he was going or whatever. But I don't, I don't know, I, just to randomly pull over. And just cold call it, pick them up. Dude. Yeah, I don't know about that. I've told you before this story. Too much true crime stuff. Of course. Of course. We were on, uh, I was following my parents up to Joplin, Missouri, like a year ago to Mm -hmm. to help them pick up something. And uh, way out there on the interstate, I've told this story before. It's a really short story. There was this this young girl, maybe five foot, hundred and nothing pounds with a big, huge pack on and a guitar case and a dog walking next to her. Mm -hmm. Just thumb out. And I, I mean, I wasn't going to pick her up, but I drove by and I was just like, you're practically dead already. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I might be being, is that me being pessimistic or something? I'm like, you, your face is already on a milk carton. Like how, why, why are you doing this? Please stop. I don't know if it's, if it's just us being old, uh, I kind of feel the same way too, but then I'm, I'm kind of, I'm saying that with reserve it could just be that we're old and and maybe 20 years ago we thought hey well yeah that's not the safest thing but she's got a good shot of making it i don't know you're right because i probably dads i feel the same dad brain i feel the same way with if my daughter's like hey after school can i walk from the high school to the to the middle school which is one block and i'm like no what are you suicidal you'll be what's wrong with you You'll be abducted. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And she I, says that she's like, I wish you weren't obsessed with true crime because I, and every time I'm like, oh yeah, well that's what so-and-so thought. And she hasn't yeah. been seen since 1987. Janice Davidson. Yeah. You know, and it, and on a, on a warm summer night back in 82, you know, and all was, they found was her toenails in a landfill 30 years later. Do you want that to be you? That is how I am. Dad, that was her boyfriend. It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Could have been a stranger. 
Oh, you want to get back to the summer of love? Let's do it. <laughs> Young people flocked to San Francisco's legendary Haight-Ashbury district by the tens of thousands. Oh, and yeah. the San Francisco Sound, which yep. was bands like Jefferson Airplane and Grateful Dead, uh, became a major force in popular music. A little bit of Beach Boys going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, little Charlie Manson. I Yeah, dude. I'll never really, I guess, be able to truly appreciate either Jefferson Airplane or the Grateful Dead because I've only ever listened to them like sober and not even <laughs> alcohol. I think, you know, I mean, I, I like them. I like both those bands. Yeah. But I imagine maybe when I'm old and, and retired and don't have any responsibilities anymore, I imagine listening to those bands uh, like if you ate, eat a gram of mushrooms or something first, you know, or yeah, some. I would. I would say that that's DMT probably a fair I'm sure assessment. it's quite a different uh, yeah. experience. Yeah, it's just probably something the average dude can't get behind and and yeah, yeah. But see the people that write the write the music, they're they're on those things too, so it's like a kinship, right? There you go. Yeah. 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 Like a similar frame of mind. So yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Maybe we'll do that when we retire. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Uh, What's keeping us from it? <laughs> you know, but apart from being the center of the universe for hippie culture and a major force in rock music, the city was about to play host to yet another revolution, one that had been brewing for decades. See, back in those days, the country had a very different and less accepting view of homosexuality, to put it mildly. They did? During, <laughs> during World War II, thousands of people had been discharged from the military because they were gay, and many of these folks were processed out in San Francisco. Even in the 50s and early 60s, the city was far more gay-friendly than the rest of the country. So along with the influx of hippies and dropouts, also came thousands to join the city's ever-growing gay community. And by the 70s, San Fran was the gay mecca in the United States. Just that's, like... Uh, that's gay. That's gay. No. <laughs> Literally, it is. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, it's like a... It's it's uh, during that time when it's... Uh, you know, nationally frowned upon. They found a safe haven, you know. Um, and I know that the people, the haters that lived around that area probably hated it, you know, but it's like, I mean, I mean, they can't, they can't just be like isolated and, and, and then the entire country and like shunned and stuff. So yeah. they just had a safe place. Um, if you if you believed one way or another and it was uncommon or um, unpopular to believe that you would look for a safe haven too yeah. uh they're not so strange you know it's it's uh i don't know it's uh it's, it's you know it's a lot better times now uh in a lot of ways and that's that's definitely one way well a lot of every place has its own special place like that sure uh like if you're in texas you probably want to go to austin which everybody and their dog is going to Austin right now. And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid it's going to get washed out and it's just going to be a little mini L.A. and then everyone's going to leave again. The thing is, is they got way more space, though. True. So, I mean, yeah, but I get what you're saying about washed out. If you're in Arkansas, probably go to Eureka. Yeah. You know, like like I said, every every place. I mean, Fayetteville's pretty cool. About, oh, yeah, for sure. That too. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, every place has like a, like, hey, it's. You can be yourself here. Yeah, like Eureka literally has gay pride parades and yeah. stuff like all the time. Yeah, and and uh, and my daughter's been to the one in Fayetteville and she thought it was a blast. Yeah, probably um, was. Yeah, yeah. Those folks are having a good time. 
Yeah. Louis C.K. has an amazing bit about that. Yeah? Yeah, just about a, a gay parade. Anyway, I won't steal it, but it's... Well, Bill Maher talks about that, too, in really? Religious. Oh, he does? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, he's like, well, these people uh, are gay, but they're unhappy. And he's like, yeah, but gay, it's in the name. <laughs> yeah. He's like, have you been to a parade? They're, they seem absolutely thrilled. Yeah. It's like, well, they're not really happy. And the guy that was saying that was a converted homosexual that's a pastor now so he just walks around constantly going i don't like men i don't like men yeah yeah i don't like men i don't like men i don't like men but there was there was a point in at the very end of the interview i know you'll remember it when i say it so uh (laughs) after they're done with the interview they shake hands and uh bill maher's like how about a hug and the guy says sure and he hugs him and he's like, hey, what's that poking into my leg? It's like, in my leg. It's super funny. The guy took it well, though. Yeah, he did. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. Those pray the gay away. Pray the gay not away. Gay, not going. I love Cheryl. I love Cheryl. Cheryl's put put my life by God. I love Cheryl. Yeah. I love Cheryl. I love Cheryl. I love yeah. Cheryl. Is that Brad Pitt on TV? Oh, nope. I love Cheryl. I love Cheryl. Yeah. I love Cheryl. I love Cheryl. <laughs> love Daryl. Love, I, mean, I mean, I mean, Cheryl. Cheryl not Daryl. <laughs> Gotta get Daryl out of my head. Oh, not the sexiest name you could have chosen, Daryl. But it did rhyme with Cheryl, so I get that you were in a box there. It's okay. Yeah, that's all I had. That's all you had. I had that's no all more. I had to work with. I had they had certain phonemes to 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 mold. Understood. And that's the way I had to. Understood. Hey, I bet there's some pretty good looking Daryls out there, sir. Daryl Strawberry. Watch yourself. Right? I don't know. I don't. Is he? What is he? What if we have a subscriber named Daryl? We just lost him, and we we can't afford that. No, we can't. No. <laughs> Daryl, stay with us. We see our th- We just went from seven to six subscribers. Oh man, we Shoot. had two Daryls. It took two years to get to seven. Cheryl and Daryl. I wonder if there's there's got to be somewhere in the United States or somewhere a Cheryl and a Daryl couple. I That's love those it. pretty common names. Cheryl and Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just. I just <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're losing. We're losing. We're losing them again. <laughs> Oh, we got two more. That's what we do. Two, two new subscribers, a Cheryl and a Daryl. They heard about it. Every Cheryl and Daryl. If we just had Cheryl and Daryls, <laughs> we'd still have thousands. Welcome to the Cheryl and Daryl podcast. What's your name? Uh, none of those names. We just we just like those names. <laughs> right, so let's roll. Just like earlier in the city's past, often uh, times of rapid growth, both in population and cultural, come with a price. So by the early 80s, and anyone that knows what I'm talking about, uh, or anyone... You probably know what I'm talking about is what I'm saying. Yeah. By the early 80s, the city was home to a large and established gay community, was richer than ever in its culture, and also played host to a comedy scene that gave us such legends as Whoopi Goldberg and the one and only Robin Williams. Mm, Awesome. However, there was a strange and mysterious affliction that seemed to be targeting mostly gay men, and no one could figure out how to treat it. At this point, it didn't even have a name and was usually referred to as the gay cancer. Other areas of San Francisco culture had a dark cloud forming as well. Thousands who flocked to the city in the decades past were now homeless and destitute, and many were forced to turn to crime to survive. In fact, by 1981, it had gotten so bad that the city's historic Golden Gate Park uh, police basically just told people to stay away from that. If you went to the Golden Gate Park at that time and place, you were probably going to get mugged or, or worse. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that, 20, 30, 40 minutes, however far we are in, is what brings us to our actual case that we're talking about. All right. I'm ready. You painted the picture. Good job, man. It was at this time, in this location, where the story we are covering took place. 
On the morning of Sunday, February 18th, 1981, a young woman found a blood-spattered backpack abandoned in Golden Gate Park. Never good. And turned it into the police. Not good. Not good. Officer James Doherty went to the park and took a look around. When he came to an area by Alvord Lake along the eastern edge of the park near Stanyan Street, Doherty discovered a sleeping bag that appeared to have someone still in it. This wouldn't have been alarming whatsoever except for the fact that the bag and the entire area around it was covered in blood. Uh-oh. As Doherty carefully peeked into the bag, he made a gruesome discovery. It contained a headless corpse. Whoa. Cue the dramatic dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. After a frantic call by Doherty, the scene was processed and the body taken to the coroner's office. The coroner noticed two bizarre things. And I mean bizarre. This is why I love this story. It is so freaking creepy. Uh, other than the fact that the body didn't, didn't have a head, two other bizarre things. An exhaustive search of the park had failed to locate the head, by the way. He noticed... Wait, let's listen. Live stream, my dog. That's Ziggy outside. You getting that? You getting that on yeah, the Yeah, we got, we got Ziggy. We got Ziggy. Great. Thanks, Ziggy's, buddy. Yeah, he's, he's hitting the meter there. Thanks, buddy. He noticed that the cut that had severed the victim's head had been so clean, so precise... That an expert, I don't know why I put a T on the end of precise, that an expert. <laughs> that precise. Precise. Precise to a T. <laughs> yes. Thank you. We just, that's a new level of precise. Jesus <laughs> Christ. The, the, uh, whoever did the cutting must have been an expert and they must have used an extremely sharp weapon. Secondly, he noticed that stuffed inside the cavity of the severed neck. That's a sentence I just said on our podcast was a chicken wing and two kernels of corn, okay, stuffed into the severed neck. You wouldn't expect that. <laughs> I don't think I'd expect that. <laughs> oh. In all my years of investigating these crimes, I wouldn't have expected a chicken wing. Uh, Captain Obvious, come here. We need you on this this case. <laughs> Well, that's unexpected. A chicken wing, you say? Two kernels of corn? Well, he's just two sides short of a $20 meal at KFC. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, should we keep going? Yeah, probably. <laughs> now we must note that the mutilated body of a chicken was found roughly 50 yards from the corpse, and this was the source of the wing found in the neck cavity. Well, should- but if it wasn't the source of the wing... That would be a creepy case. That would be creepy, right? It's like, is that where the wing came? No, that's not the chicken in question. Oh, no. I, I would love dun, that. The, dun, dun. I love the detectives like severed head. Okay. Chicken parts and corn st- stuffed in the neck. Uh, okay. Mutilated chicken found nearby. Okay. That wasn't the chicken where the wing. Now that's weird. That's when the detective gets to flex because he can be like, you find that other chicken, we find the murderer. You know? <laughs> I see him holding the, the wing to the dead chicken, being like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just crack this case wide open. <laughs> Extra crispy. If in the montage with the music where he's trying to solve the crime, it shows him a KFC and he has a bucket of chicken. <laughs> he has all the wings laid out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, he, he's holding up one wing and like he has that look, you know, like the house look, like they figured it out. <laughs> it's like, remember the, the left hand killer? Yeah, the left hand killer Park. in South Park. Yeah, Mont- 
<laughs> it was the right hand. Oh my god. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, mutilated chicken found 50 yards from the corpse. Uh and it was the source of the wing found in the neck cavity. Other than that, the macabre condition of the body raised more questions than answered. So side side note, uh, I did find a couple of other sources that said there were two corn cobs in the neck cavity. Mm. But I think it was actually Colonel. I think it was a misprint uh, or misinformation. And then I also found another article that said there were several uh, like slaughtered chickens nearby. But I found more that said just one. This may be splitting hairs at this point, but I just try, I'm trying to be accurate here. Right. Yeah, and then it makes you wonder, is, like, the guy sending a message, is it some kind of, and I'm not to even try to be funny, is it's like, is there something cryptic there? A chicken wing and some corn. I don't, chicken I mean, corn. I got nothing. Chicken wing corn. Finkel and Einhorn. Finkel and Einhorn. Chicken wing corn. Chicken wing corn. Chicken wing corn. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> what does it all mean? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. I got nothing. Einhorn is a man. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, dental records were out of the question. Because there was, there was no head, so mm, yeah. I don't know. Why I had to explain that, but <laughs> what but, about what about beak records <laughs> from the chicken? We've identified the chicken, yeah, as a all right. yeah. Sorry, uh, luckily, Sorry. it's 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 so like rubber chicken, like like that type of humor. Sorry, yeah. I can't I can't see it. I That's what we it. do. It's all right. I can't help it. Luckily, authorities were able to place a name to the corpse via fingerprints. Okay. The body in the bag was 29-year-old Leroy Carter Jr. Not a lot is known about Leroy. That's why I talked about San Francisco for 30 minutes. Not really. I, I, I did want to set the scene, but whatever. Use your own. Uh, especially the earlier part of his life. Now, we do know he was an African-American male born somewhere in Louisiana on September 15th, 1951. From there, we know he served in Vietnam as private first class in the Marines. We also know that he didn't have a home or family to return to. And hearing of the homeless, friendly reputation of San Francisco, that's where Leroy decided to go. Okay. I don't know where, I don't know how long he was there. I know that Vietnam ended in, what, 75? Okay. Or so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he, so obviously he was not, there's six years there where I don't know where he was. Sure. But anyway, I don't know where he was from from where he was born to Vietnam. So that's why I said there's really not much on the guy. Yeah. Uh, but any hopes of making a better life for himself quickly disappeared after Leroy's arrival to San Francisco. He got mixed up in a variety of petty crimes and ended up with a fairly long rap sheet. Nothing too nefarious, like mainly small-time theft and loitering. However, it was his record and fingerprints he'd given in custody that led to his identification. Okay. On the night before his death, though, all Leroy Carter Jr. was guilty of was trying to find a good place to sleep. Okay. Yeah. So, uh... So now they're just going to work backwards from that and try to, like, find, like, people that he knew and check suspects, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that where you're going with this? You're talking about the chicken? No, not the chicken. Who did this I'm chicken run with? I'm trying to forget with? about the, yeah. <laughs> Who did this chicken run <laughs> Is there anyone that would want to see this chicken dead? Yeah, anyone hungry. <laughs> First suspect, Colonel Sanders. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus. Police may have quickly identified the body, but other than that, they had very little to go on. Due to the bizarre circumstances of the, of the crime, so I'm getting ahead of myself, it was soon theorized that Leroy may have been the victim of some sort of ritualistic sacrifice. 
On the heels of this theory, SFPD Detective Sandy Gallant was called in to investigate Leroy's murder. What set Gallant apart from her fellow detectives was that her particular area of expertise was cults. She had worked on many cases associated with Jim Jones, who for those of you, everybody knows, but I'm going to say it anyway. He had recently led over 900 people to their deaths in the South American jungle. Okay. Yep. The Flavor Aid. Jonestown. Yeah. yeah, Flavor Aid. Yes. Yeah, you said it right. You're like the only guy in history. that We've talked about him several times. He didn't even give his followers the decency of Kool-Aid. That yeah, son they're going to die to some generic which, which, do you remember there being a difference? I think that was, I think it was fine. I don't think it was a difference. My favorites, my favorites, my favorites one, my favorite one, I remember being the uh, uh, purple, purple Saurus Rex. Remember that? Grape flavored. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're bosom buddies. You like that one too? This is my favorite too. Yeah. There's Great. another one too that was a blue one that I liked a lot too, but I can't remember the flavor of that. I can't remember the name. I don't either. I just drank the grape. But Purple Source Rex was a really good one. Uh, but now, I had some Kool-Aid recently. Oh, man. I can't even drink it. It's so... Oh, man. It's so sweet. It's like... Ugh, it's, it's like liquid it's, heroin. It's like Kool-Aid. Oh, I love it. Oh, I can't drink it I can't it even... I know. I, I, I can't I make... I feel like I'm going to have a, like a seizure as soon as I take a drink of some of it. I mean, it's like... But, uh, yeah, baby. It's like free basin sugar. Oh. <laughs> it really is. Because think about when you make it. Think about how much sugar you put into it. I think about it every time I make it, <laughs> which is kind of a lot. It's just like I have a half cup, and I'm just like, wow. Like, pff, just keep going, yeah, because I make big. Anyway. No, I can't do it anymore. Uh, 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 yeah, man. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I saved the little proof of purchases, and I remember getting in the – sending them in for crap you never got anything good what was the sugar bear that you sent in for what was that uh that was for golden uh golden crisp not golden the crisp. cereal uh 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 what is what is sugar bear is on uh what cereal is that i don't know Go, golden crisps right that has the bear on the front or what's yeah it called? i guess that's what i think you're called. right yeah the only thing I ever saved up for uh, with those proof of purchases thing, I think I've told you, you know everything. I only have four <laughs> stories. It was the Bazooka Joe gum. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling me that. And it's, I remember, I'll never forget, you know, it said, like, if you send in however many, and I chewed so much gum, uh, <laughs> you would get some 3D uh, X-ray glasses. It was X-ray glasses. And it had a little cartoon of a boy going, oh, and it showed, like, a hand, and you could see the bones in it. Yeah. So I did. I, I saved up all these proofs of purchases. Perf- purchases sent them in and back then it was like four to six weeks yeah you know that oh yeah took that's shit how to come long in. yeah that's how long my stuff took so i got in these cheap ass little like one side's red one side's blue and i put them on and i looked and it just kind of like made it look like if you looked at your hand it was like it doubled it a little yeah was so it was like it was sheer disappointment yeah complete sheer disappointment and i was you like, were like i was about to take these to school <laughs> <laughs> come here martha where's martha Oh, darn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it's like, you know, because I felt the same way. Like when you're a kid, you're so dumb because, you know, you see that and you're like, that's amazing. <laughs> but then when you go to the doctor and they do an x-ray, it takes them, you know, forever to get it to to set up. It, and you stand in front of the thing and the, and the person's like behind a, a shield to keep radiation from hitting them. But uh, so then you're thinking, what if they just order those glasses? <laughs> Wouldn't you love it if you went to the doctor and he's like. You might have a kidney stone. We need, we need to take an x-ray. He turns around and he's got those glasses on. Bazooka Joe. That would actually be a funny skit. <laughs> that would really be a funny skit. And you're like, I'll be goddamn. Yeah. And he's like, 
Well, I was gonna do an ultrasound, but uh, let's, let, let's do an ultrasound, and then he, he gets out the sonic ear and he holds it <laughs> on your belly, and he's like, oh, "Okay, well, it looks like you may have an ulcer there." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sonic ear. I love it. Here, here, conversations that you have no part of, because it always yeah. shows a guy like four tables away at a restaurant, and he's like, "Yeah," <laughs> like they always laugh. You're not going to be laughing. <laughs> well, that's what Brian Regan has a skit on. Does he? Remember, he was talking about the the uh, woman walking by the other two ladies, and the other lady said, oh, she looks yeah. so good. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's what they're that's saying. That's what they're saying. Yeah. That bitch. Yeah. yeah that's what you're going like, to hear. Yeah. Like, if they were saying that, why would they have to keep their voices down? <laughs> you know, they don't want you to hear them. Yeah. I don't know. What I'm saying is really positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, so <clears throat> back to, to Sandy Gallant. Uh, you know, I said she was kind of uh, the unofficial cult expert, mm-hmm. and she even got the nickname Cult Cop after because she worked on these cases so much, especially uh, the Jim Jones thing. Yeah. Um, so they call her in. She looked over the case file. She really quickly noticed the similarities between Leroy's death and certain rituals in a religion called Santeria. Oh, not Christianity. No. No, I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) No, Santeria. And you like when I read that, the first thing I thought was Sublime. Yeah. I don't practice Santeria. That that song, it's one of those songs that gets more uh it gets like more precious over time. You know what's weird is I love that song. My wife got into a sublime kick. Yeah. I did these notes probably about a week and a half ago, and uh it's super weird because I came home during uh, I, I came home after work one day. And uh, while I was doing these notes and she was in the kitchen cooking and like had that song blasting. Yeah, man, that is a fantastic song. It just song. gets better. Yeah, that's yeah. so funny that you, you know, it's kind of coincidental. Right yeah. There. He yeah. don't practice Santeria. Ain't got no crystal ball. Yeah. He had a million dollars. My, f- and he spent, and it, spent all. it all. Yeah. My favorite part, got something for your punk ass. Yeah. That's that, what it doesn't fit, but it fits. Yeah. And you know, when they're writing it, it, it seems like something you'd write as a joke. Yep. It's like, you can't think of a line. And it's like, hey, leave that. That's cool. You know, because it really shouldn't. You know, that really doesn't go with, it doesn't really, I mean, it. I don't know. It's just kind of, it seems out of place, but it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's too bad that guy overdosed on Oh, it. yeah, I know. Yeah. Rest that in peace. Thing. Yep. So, uh, Santeria. We should probably talk about what that is. Yeah, go ahead, because I'm not sure. I wasn't either. I know Sangria's, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah. Very different. Um, I only knew Santeria from the Sublime song. That's literally the only time I ever remember hearing that word. Maybe the most of our. Listeners. I'm about to learn something, and I'm excited about it. Dramatic pause. All right, <laughs> this is directly from Britannica.com. All right, all right, we can trust him. Santeria was brought to Cuba by the people of the Yoruba nations of West Africa, who were enslaved in great numbers in the first decades of the 19th century. The name Santeria derives from the correspondences made by some devotees between the Yoruba deities called Orishas. And anyone forgive me if I'm mispronouncing some of these things. We could never freak no. <laughs> but between deities called Orishas and the saints of Roman Catholicism. Many contemporary practitioners refer to the tradition as the religion of the Orishas or Orishas or the Lukumi religion after the name which the Yoruba were known in Cuba. So Santeria is based upon the development of personal relationships through divination, sacrifice, initiation, and mediumship between practitioners of the religion and the Orisha deities. 
who provide their devotees with protection, wisdom, and success, and who guide devotees in times of crisis. It is believed that the uh, access to the Orishas can be achieved through various types of divination. The Ifa Oracle, for example, is a trained priest interprets the fall of consecrated palm nuts to reveal the Orisha's response to a seeker's question. Just in case anyone isn't aware, and I didn't know before I did these notes. I think we did uh, in the death rituals, I learned what this was. But divination is the old practice. There's a million different ways to do it. Um, a lot of people would read like entrails or it's it's where you you manipulate some sort of uh, tangible item and then you read the future. Is you know, you know what I'm like saying? In, from is it kind of like in Robin Hood where the, the, the witch lady throws like the egg in the little pan yes. and throws dice dice in there or die in there and like and like And then she like looks at it and yeah. then she like throws it down and she's like Ah Right, you know, right. Yeah, she's like afraid because she sees that Robin Hood's gonna come and take yeah. out the guy. Yeah. That's divination. Okay. For some reason I the entrails uh was maybe that's in the Bible or something weird like that. But uh, yeah. reading entrails of some sort. There's our little moth friend. Hey, buddy. Reading entrails. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good read, entrails. <laughs> Most IFA consultations prescribe some sort of sacrifice to one or several of the Orishas. These offerings may range from simple presentations before home altars to elaborate feast in the Orishas' honor. Although animal sacrifice, known as ma- matanza, is performed on a regular basis in the Santeria religion, I found, I want to make this really clear. Okay. I found no evidence of human sacrifice being associated with it. Okay. So. Yeah. I just didn't, I don't know how prevalent, I'm sure Santeria is not like a super prevalent religion, but I, I wouldn't want anyone ever, that, that ever practiced that to, to think that we were, you know, uh, insinuating that they had anything. To, it's not, it's not a part of it whatsoever. Um, I did find a few cases really rare of someone being killed in association with Santeria, but it is believed that the killers in those instances just use the religion as a, sa- a scapegoat to justify their own murderous urges. Yeah. And it was not anything to do with the religion. Um, however, Gallant noted that there were offshoots of Santeria, and here's where it gets good and creepy, that were tied to black magic rituals. Mm. Palo Meombi, for example, mixes Santeria with other beliefs such as Aztec blood rites, Haitian-style voodoo, Catholicism, and sometimes even devil worship. Mm. I mean, we are getting in the weeds there. That's I, not good. I think that's... <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of it. As knowledgeable as Gallant was on the subject of occultism, Santeria was something quite different, and she was not that familiar with its practices. So she called in the help of an expert in Santeria, who also happened to be the coroner for Dade County, Florida, Charles Wetley. Together, Gallant and Wetley performed, uh, that is, the theory that Leroy had indeed been the victim of some sort of Santeria-esque ritual sacrifice. They theorized that the killers had decapitated Leroy in order to use the head to create some sort of ritualistic brew using parts of his brain and possibly even his eyes and ears, which would be consumed. Mm-hmm. Gallant, yeah. that <laughs> she, Gallant theorized that this process took three weeks, approximately 21 days, a period of time in which would then be doubled before the head was returned to the scene of the crime as the, uh, so 21 days is half the ritual. 21 days doubled 21 days later, 42 days later, 
she theorized that whoever killed this guy and, and severed his head would bring the head back. So this is a part of an actual uh, uh, interview that she gave. She says, at the end of those 21 days, if the priest deemed it appropriate, he would actually sleep in an area with this head and with this cauldron for another 21 days. Then on the 42nd day, he discards the head in close proximity to where he took it from. To him, that was a sacred way of returning the head. Hmm. All part of the ritual. Okay. Galan believed that in total, this ritualistic process took six weeks, 42 days, like I said, 30 times, before the skull would be returned to the place where the victim was killed. In this case, that would be in Golden Gate Park along Olvord Lake. However, when Gallant went to her superiors with this information, she was literally laughed out of the room. Not a single investigator took her seriously, which is a shame, actually. If only one person had been curious enough to stake out the location of Leroy's body on that 42nd day, they would have found Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Why not just say, ah, ah, nothing else is going on. We're just going to go and just kind of sit around and wait. (laughs) You know, just like... She's probably crazy. I don't know. And but why, you would have seen. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It just would have taken one. But this is 1981. It just would have taken one guy in an old sure. Crown Vic. Sure. Drinking coffee with his, getting coffee in his big fuzzy mustache because it's yeah. 1981. I picture Dennis Franz. Yeah. From NYPD Blues. And I could see it like he's like bored and almost asleep and yeah. you hear something looks over and there's a guy with a head. I don't know. There's or a, maybe there's like someone moving around or whatever yeah but, that's all it would have taken yeah yeah uh so yeah on march 22nd 1981 exactly we may have peaked there 42 days after the murder uh detective gallant and her partner returned to the crime scene at golden gate park and found the decomposing head of leroy carter jr Police have never released information as to the condition of the head or whether or not Gallant's theory was correct, but it was because his head was there. That's kind of all. Is there a chance that it could be like it wasn't there? I mean, they didn't find it and it was there. I don't know from everything. Pretty extensive search. Yeah. From everything I read, they they really went over everything with a fine tooth comb. You know what I mean? Um, Now, this might be a question in some of the listeners minds. Why the hell didn't she just go out herself to prove her own theory? Right? I mean, she yeah. didn't even go. So, yeah, but would you want to go by yourself if you're not in law enforcement knowing the what these people would do if they saw you? I don't know. I mean, she was a detective. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a valid... I don't know. Why wouldn't you go with a gun? Like, ready? Yeah. Well, this was her answer to that. Because, you know, she's been kicking herself forever for, for not going. Okay. Our problem was, this is her words... Sandy Gallant. Our problem was, even though our homicide detectives didn't buy it, my partner and I weren't out here doing surveillance on the 42nd day either. I think looking back on it, we had a real difficult time, too, believing that something like this could actually happen, even though it was our own theory. That's the end of her quote. Since that day in the early spring of 1981, leads have been followed, but never to any answers. And to this day, almost 40 years later, the person or persons who took the life of Leroy Carter Jr., remains a mystery Hmm. and that is it my friend on the sacrifice of leroy carter jr yeah man so that's like uh man yeah you would kick yourself about that wouldn't you oh yeah uh so the way so the way i look at that is it's like there's probably 
it would seem that it would be easier to solve than than a lot of the other ones because you would have multiple suspects and you would think that someone would come out of whatever cult is all you need is one person to break away and say hey we killed a guy uh, or at least you know it probably yeah. happened more than once i i wonder if it was one lone crazy dude you know just and it's 40 years ago but it is very likely this guy's dead whoever did it or, sure or, you know um 1981 yeah i don't know yeah that's crazy yeah that's crazy they could have they could have been there in uh in in you know at least witness somebody walk up and then chase them down or whatever can you imagine like what would have how would how do you talk your way out of that like well this isn't my head i just i just found it it's not mine it's the same thing they do when they find all the drugs in there this isn't mine. I was, one of my friends borrowed my car and, and put this head in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was holding this head for a friend. Yeah, my sister one time did that. She uh, she uh, held a head for a friend. No, did had that story with my mom, but my mom was really like anti like heavy metal and stuff. <laughs> so my mom found a, um, uh, a Ozzy Osbourne cassette. No. Yeah, and my sister said that she said uh, um, this is one of my friends. I, I said I would keep it for something. I can't remember the whole story, but but that was her excuse. And my mom says, will you take that back to her tomorrow? <laughs> and that is not allowed in our house. We're going to sprinkle holy water and yeah, burn sage. Right. What, she wasn't like over, over, you know, overly like religious or whatever. But but I guess she probably watched one news report about Ozzy and the bat. And, oh, you know, I don't yeah. know what year that happened, but it was either. probably it was probably before this. But uh She's like, you're not listening to Ozzy Osbourne. And actually, I don't think my my sister wasn't into that kind of stuff. But I think for a short time, she was like in that rebellious stage. So she knew my mom didn't want it. So wanted her to listen to it. So she did. Um, that's one of the worst things you can do as a parent, right? Like, absolutely not. That's not something that you can. <laughs> they're going to be super curious, right? And, yeah. And check it out. Especially if it's something as benign as music. Well, I don't know. Maybe music isn't benign, but I think it is. Well, I, I too, threw, totally threw a friend under the bus. I don't remember. I was like 15, <laughs> 15 or 16 or something. My mom was cleaning my room, and she found a, a girly magazine. Oh, yeah. As as one might call it. Yeah. And you and, said as one of your buddies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. even like this nudity stuff. It's yeah. gross. No, I was like. Put some clothes on. I was like, yuck. Those aren't mine. You're well, like. This is Ivan's. No. <laughs> no, I threw my buddy Seth under the bus. I said, that must be Seth's. And she said, well, you get those, you throw those away. He doesn't need them either. I mean, uh, I'll totally green light you right now. If, if anything with your wife or something like that, you can, you can always say it's mine, whatever it is. <laughs> if you forget to uh, put up a dish or something. Just say, <laughs> yeah, Ivan was here earlier. It's like, wait, it's Tuesday. You guys podcast on Thursday. No, he was here and we were talking and he left it out i'm not sure why i don't really understand you know and you can do the same with me yeah i will i will we can't do that. our wives won't let us hang out anymore if we do that too much yeah we just keep on he's yeah, nothing but trouble that joey you should flush well uh joey came over <laughs> and uh he used the bathroom before he got home and he forgot to flush oh man what if we're each other's whipping boys like we we like get along with our wives like so well but then when one of our wives see one of us, they like give us like dirty looks and yeah, you, you with your dishes and you're not 
flushing the toilet and your toilet seat not putting down or up. Or I go whatever. over and Jennifer's like, you need more fiber in your diet, yeah, by the right. way. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I was looking at the internet history and Ivan said that you borrowed the computer and it's discount. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. It's like, I don't know. This is like whatever we could do to. And then I text you, I'm like, clear your history, man. Yeah, Come yeah, on. Yeah. Come on. Your, your wife even got mad enough. She texted me. <laughs> I'm fighting with your wife right now. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Happy. So, anyway. so yeah, it's uh yeah. Episode 100. I don't know really how the, did it, did it look like the, the live stream went okay? People kind of popped in and out. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That happens. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course that happens. All right. Well, I think, I think it went well, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll watch it later yeah. and find out. Yeah. So, Hey, uh, again, we didn't get to set up all this stuff. Make sure you go online. You go to our website. Uh, Joe is real good about, he posts stuff on there a lot about the episodes. Also on Twitter, we don't tweet much, but you could tweet at us and we'll tweet back. Mm-hmm. Is that how it works? Is that what you call it? I don't know. I know it's called tweeting. Something like that. Uh, Twits. Yeah. Tweets. Twits. Twits. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let us know if you got an idea for something. You can go on Patreon and become a patron. A patron? Not a patron. A patron. <laughs> uh, there's some special things in there. Carl got an awesome mug. Yes. Uh, with our awesome logo. That we, we don't have. even have those mugs. We don't even have those mugs. Carl does. We don't. But that's okay. We love it that way. Uh, kind of. Uh, All right, so uh, we'll talk to you guys next time, and that's all we have for this week. 99. See uh, see you on the Halloween episodes coming up. Yes. Yes. It's going to be a good one. Yep, it will. So see you guys next time.